has said right through our studies in Matthew. If you have your notes there, you can follow along in the bulletin. We'll see that. <clears throat> Let's pray before we start. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would, uh, we, we pray that you would already have been working in our hearts. We trust that you are. We just pray now that as we come to this moment, that as we study your words, as they are taught, as they are explained, that they would be done so properly. Lord, that you would remove anything from our hearts and our minds that would distract us, that would cause us to misunderstand or misinterpret what your word actually says. I pray that you would fill me with the right words. I pray that you would use my tongue to say only what you would have said. I pray that you would take these words that are written on the page and that are said in our time together and carry the truths into our hearts. May this not just fill a space in our service. May it uh, change us, change our hearts, change our behaviors. We do pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Physical love sexual intimacy, probably God's greatest gift to a husband and a wife, might be the most difficult and sensitive subject to speak about in a public or private setting. It might be, and it probably is, one of the most controversial topics in today's society, but it is definitely one of the most awkward sermons to preach about today. I don't think I've done that, uh, I've spoken about this at all uh, before, but it's there in front of you, and so that's why we're talking about it. It's one of the reasons why I like uh, just preaching through a book, because if it's there, I'll talk about it, and if it's not, I won't. And uh, I do my best to tell you what it says, and if you don't like it, you take it up with uh, the one who wrote it. We all know it's there. But it's kind of like we're not sure what to do with it. Whenever it's brought up in conversation, much probably, uh, if you were paying attention and knew it was coming, you knew that uh, this would probably be what we, what we spent our time with. Or as you heard it read and your ears perk up because this is something that both captures our attention and makes us nervous at the same time. We hold our breath, curious, fascinated, cautious, some people don't want to talk about sex at all because it's too private, it's too embarrassing, too awkward, they say. Some would say that it's too inappropriate to at least speak of in a public setting while other people are so comfortable that they talk too much about it in an indiscreet way. There are people in our society that see sex as a necessary evil, something that must be done but never spoken about or even enjoyed. But then there are others who go way beyond its established biblical boundaries, pervert its intention, misuse for sinful and selfish reasons. If you study history, or if you just pay attention to what's going on in society today, you'll see that we have, we have uh, gone from treating this to a very respectfully, very discreet, very tastefully to very flippantly to degrade it to nothing more than an animalistic behavior. 
strip away its spiritual value and its God-intended purpose. But if these desires that we all have, that's what we will be focusing on this morning, if these desires come from God, what are we to do with them? If Scripture speaks so directly and so frankly about this topic, should not we have the same attitude? Shouldn't we have the same kind of conversations within the boundaries of truth? And if sexual intimacy is such a misunderstood and distorted topic, shouldn't we as Christians have the wisdom to know what is truth, what is not? And then do we not have a responsibility to share that truth? So for these reasons, I want to explain what Jesus is saying to us. Hopefully we get it and we can apply it in the proper way. Now there are several passages that Jesus uh, will speak about these topics, and several of them even uh, begin to blend in with one another. In my studies this week, I wanted to uh, really make sure I got a full grasp of what we were talking about, and so I spent some time listening to sermons and reading sermons uh, from other passages, and it began to blur what was actually being said in this particular passage. And so in order to isolate... uh, not isolate this passage from the rest of Scripture, but isolate this passage from the rest of the teaching about this topic. I want to be I want to be careful, and uh, so I'm just asking a series of questions, and I hope that you'll kind of help uh, use these questions to help find the answer as we go through it uh, yourselves. I basically, ask myself, what is this passage talking about? What's, what does the passage say to me? There is so much that has to do with, namely, adultery, has to do with divorce. Uh, and all of the the things that go along with those two topics. There's so much within the Scriptures that talk about it, and what do we need to know about it from this particular passage? Jesus, uh, specifically Matthew 19, and Mark speaks of it a lot. Um, he is answering direct questions. But now here Jesus is in the middle of a sermon. Nobody's asked him a question that is uh, causing him to bring this topic up. Jesus is comfortable enough to bring it up in the middle of his sermon as one of his main points, if you will. Uh, what is it that we need to know about this passage? And how does it relate to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount? Really, as we see, the there is one underlying theme to this whole passage. We could have taken two weeks on this, uh, but I chose to just uh, take these two passages and put them together. If your Bible uh, kind of puts... Uh, subheadings, if you will, on the paragraphs, so you can find them a little bit easier, uh, then uh, you, you'd notice that there's two paragraphs here, if you will, for this uh, passage. But the, what we see here as we go through the entire passage of, from verses 27 to 32, we find that he's, it's, it's all about adultery. Do not commit adultery. It's the Old Testament command. It's commandment number seven of uh, the, uh, the Ten Commandments. And that's what Jesus begins with, the the uh, verse 27, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's quoting from Exodus 20 and verse 14. Now, unlike the previous passage that we looked at when he equated anger and murder, uh, there is no other passage that he is saying, hey, you've heard this before. He simply tells us exactly what the scriptures say. And it will be helpful for us to understand what he talked about, how he explain his his uh, new interpretation with the previous passage it helps us to understand it in this passage and so hopefully you can draw on that knowledge 
from from uh, last week into this Sunday. But if not, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. You'll you'll see it right along with the rest of us. As we saw in the previous passage, there was uh, two statements, two different passages of scripture that were definitely in the Bible, but then over time, tradition, man's teaching, interpretation, all of these things had taken these two different statements about. Uh, about uh, don't kill, and if you kill, you're in danger of the judgment, and put them together and had lessened the impact of the first statement of thou shalt not kill or don't murder uh, to just the physical act. But this time, Jesus only takes the one phrase, don't commit adultery, and he is going to, as it seems from from a, a, a first perspective, that he's going to change it. Uh, and he's not doing that, of course, as we've I've spent a lot of time to try to explain that and try to nail that nail that down. Uh, but he's going to he's going to reinterpret, if you will, adultery. Uh, adultery, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, is violation of the marriage covenant. It is sexual infidelity. It would be uh, one who is unfaithful. What is something that was kind of interesting that I was learning as I was studying this week is that uh, throughout the scriptures, and even I was looking at old dictionaries of eighteen hundreds and such. Um, the difference between adultery, fornication, all those things really had to determine with the status of the woman. If the woman was married, that was one thing. If the woman was not married, it was another thing. And we see a lot of the Levitical law having to do with uh, that from from that perspective. Uh, now today, it's pretty much uh, you know not gender specific. It's it determined adultery is if there's marriage involved, and and and, and if not, and it's and it's the other. What Jesus is going to take us uh, through here is a reinterpreting of the Scriptures. Not reinterpreting from what the original Scriptures interpretation was. Not taking us, uh, well, here's what the Bible says and here's what I think. But rather, over time, uh, we have gotten away from it. If you picture uh, the straight line of truth, and over time, man has not gone a sharp 90 degrees away from it, but maybe just one degree off, or maybe just two or three degrees off. And over time, the distance from truth has grown, and to, they get to this point, and Jesus says, let me take you back to where it should have been. Let me help you to understand what this command is supposed to tell you, what you're supposed to take away from this, and that's what he's going to do. And he's going to redefine what adultery is. He's going to realign it with its original thought. We see three main definitions, if you will, of what Jesus says, this is what adultery is. The first one is covered in the statement, Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's in the Bible. It's in the Scriptures. The first, the first is obviously the physical act of adultery. And that's how everybody understood it. I think even to that, into this day, if we asked, if we took a poll, most of us would say, yes, adultery is against the Bible. It's sin. It's wrong. It violates God's law. We shouldn't do it. And, 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 that's, and that's what Jesus is not confronting. He's not refuting there. Rather, He takes it further. Okay, so we won't spend much time on that one because that's not what Jesus is here to talk about. The act of adultery, he takes it a little bit further. So if you look in verse number 28, he says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So he says not only, number one, is it the outward act, but it's the inward desire. Adultery is the inward desire. It is the looking. That is the same as the committing, is the acting. Looking and lusting is the same as adultery. We find that, uh, uh, we find that, uh, really, that's also within the law. We'll see in just a moment. It's still within the Ten Commandments. 
Now, if we apply the same understanding that we have from verses 21 and 22 about how that anger and, and murder are the same, that the outward action is not only sin, it is also the inward thoughts, we see what he is teaching here about not only is the outward act of adultery wrong, the inward thought of it is just as wrong, and you are just as in, uh, you are in just as much trouble uh, with God if, as if you actually committed the command. But we see that the traditional emphasis that man's understanding has brought him to, what the emphasis was solely on an outward behavior. Don't commit adultery. Just like, don't kill. All right? Get through life, never having killed anybody. And now he's saying, the, other ta- the next teaching was, get through life, never having committed adultery. And the problem with that is, if that's all that I'm supposed to be worried about, then eventually I'm going to feel good because I've never done these what we consider gross sins. But Jesus says, you're not good. Hold on. Let's re-understand what God wanted us to understand. He says, number one, in, in the previous passage, don't, com- don't, be, uh, don't kill, but it also, don't even be angry because you're in just as much trouble, you're liable to the judgment there as if you actually killed him. And then he says in this passage, he says, don't commit adultery. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, if you even look on a woman and lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery already. Now, this whole passage is, this is kind of a sidebar here, but this whole passage is really directed from men to women. But I think that it, it, it does go both ways. He's using specific examples here, but it does definitely go both ways. So this is not a sermon at the men, although it is a sermon at the men. It is also a sermon at the ladies as well. Uh, but uh, And I think that you can make the, the appropriate applications uh, in either way. And Jesus is saying here that if you look at a woman and lust after her, it's already in your heart. Now this word look here does not necessarily mean that you saw her. It is an intentional, it is a purposeful, is a continual looking at the word there isn't is implying that i am looking for the purpose of it didn't just kind of happen to come in front of my radar it is that i looked to see it and and it says that why did i look i looked to lust i looked to covet i looked to have what i am not supposed to have i looked to see what i am not supposed to see and and uh, Warren Wearsby uh, wrote about this man. He says that the man Jesus described looked at this woman for the purpose of feeding his inner sensual appetites as a substitute for the act. And Jesus here connects the seventh commandment with the tenth commandment. If you can uh, turn it to it quickly, I'd like for you to go to uh, Exodus chapter 20. This is the, the listing of the ten commandments. Leave your place in Matthew 5, but turn with me over to Exodus 20 and let's see these commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 14 is the thou shalt not commit adultery. Very, very easy to, to grasp that one. But you look down in verse, uh, in the next verse, in, uh, not in the next verse, but in number 17, which is the last commandment, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. This is what the lust is. And so lusting, and, and Jesus saying, hey, if you lust, you've already committed adultery, is really not saying anything different than Moses said a long time ago, don't lust after your, after your neighbor's wife. Why? Because it's, she's not yours. Neither is his house yours. Neither is his, his, his livestock yours. Neither is his, 
uh, his servants. You are none of the things. Don't lust after anything that doesn't belong to you. That's what coveting is. And when we lust, we break not only the commandment of numbers of number seven. Don't don't commit adultery because Jesus said when we lust, we commit it in our heart. But we not only we now break number 10 because we we covet what God says we're not supposed to covet. Really, if you want to get technical, look up Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians 5, and we see that when we lust, Paul says that uh, co- coveting is idolatry. And so by breaking number 10, I actually go back to the beginning and break number 1. No other gods before me. So they're all so interconnected, and Jesus is, is really not saying anything different than what was originally said, but it has gotten, it has gotten way off course. And so Jesus says not only is adultery the actual act of it, but number two, adultery is the inward lust. It's the inward thought. It's the inward desire of something that none of us will ever see as long as it stays within your heart, but God does, and God says that's just as much sin and there's just as much punishment. Number three, he says, if we're back in Matthew 5, he says that uh, the, the third definition, if you will, of adultery is uh, is that it is ultimately linked to divorce. Look at these. These are interesting verses, what Jesus says. Again, Jesus speaks to adultery and divorce in other passages. Paul speaks about divorce. Uh, Malachi speaks about divorce and, and all of these different prophets. But what Jesus says specifically to this passage is so interesting. Uh, I was thinking about in Mark how the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees, I think it was, came to him and tried to tempt him and said, well, you know, uh, what, well, Moses gave us a, an, a, an okay to divorce, and he, and, he, and, he, and he always went back to creation. He said, uh, from the beginning it was not so. And, and, and Jesus is not answering that question. He's answering the underlying principle of it, and that's what he's going to teach us here in verse number uh, 20, uh, I'm sorry, not 20, uh, 29, 31. We're going to, uh, the, the 29 and verse 30 here are, are illustrations, if you will. Do you remember last week I told you that he uses a bit of a formula? Uh, to explain his his new teaching. He starts with traditional interpretation, then he gives the divine interpretation, and then he will give an illustration. This afternoon, when we come back after lunch, if you can stay awake, we're going to uh, come back to these verses and talk about the illustration. But I want I want you to see the overall theme of what he's saying. That's what we're, we're, we're skipping those verses. We will come back to those this afternoon. Uh, he says, number one, that uh, or number three, that adultery is ultimately linked to divorce. Verse number 31. It has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife let her give her, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And then he just jumps right into the next thing. It's like he didn't finish that thought almost. But let's understand what Jesus is saying here. Either way, divorce and adultery are connected to one another. Either they're the cause of the other or they are the effect of the other. For instance, he says the first that divorce can cause adultery by saying that when you when if if you divorce your wife uh, saving for the cause of adultery or fornication uh, you cause her to commit adultery so if you divorce you cause her to commit adultery but the other way the what we would say maybe is the only acceptable way that Jesus says here is in the act of adultery so immorality caused the divorce or divorce caused the immorality and then he says at the end there that a, a one who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There's a lot there, and I don't want to get into uh, all of that because I know that these bring up lots of questions. I'd be happy to sit and talk with you about any of those things, but I do want to stay on topic. So if you want to stay with me and not let your mind wander to all the places that the mind wandered this week, um, let's, let's keep going. 
In the Old Testament, it was very easy for a man to get a divorce. It was, and, and, and not just in the Old Testament, but in, in this time. If we study the Old Testament, we see it was a very male-dominant society. Women were, uh, in many cultures, were just treated more than, nothing more than property. And, uh, you know, fortunately, that is, that is not the way it is today. Uh, but that was, that was how it was uh, widely, widely accepted. And for a, for a husband to not want to his wife anymore, it was pretty simple to just kind of get rid of her and get a new one. Be like, well, I'm tired of this car. I'm going to get a newer model. I don't want that one. I want this one now. And I don't want that one. I want this one. And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee and all of these different things. And that's how they kind of treated marriage. Well, uh, the, the, really the only teaching that the law gives us about divorce is found in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse number 1. Uh, and it begins there, and there are other passages that deal with divorce, but this is mainly the, the one that, uh, that this is really the only one that has instructions about divorce. And, it, and it's, there's, there's two little phrases in there that really were pulled out and used as this is, this is the, the, the main, main understanding of it. Uh, Deuteronomy 24 says, uh, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she's departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Now, if we read through that, the specific reason that it's there is so that he can't remarry her later on and take advantage of her of, with the dowry and all of those things. But there's, there's two phrases in there about the, the, uh, the finding no favor because he found uncleanness and then giving her a writing of divorcement. Uh, and there's a lot of debate on these these definitions here not the writing of divorcement but over the found uncleanness in her and he had found no favor uh, she found no favor in his eyes uh, because uh, there uh, there was a lot of debate over time over history on what that actually means and as as you know time went on there was uh, basically two big schools of thought that came from that there was one that said that uh, that this this uh, uncleanness in her was only for sexual infidelity only if she was found to be unfaithful to her husband then he was to uh, divorce her. Think about when uh, Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant before that he had actually come with, uh, come together with her. And so he felt, until the angel set him straight, that she had uh, been unfaithful to him. And so he was going to put her away until uh, and privately and all those things. And that's, and that's what it would have been. Now then the other side of the pendulum it would swing, and there was another main school of thought that basically said, this allows the husband to divorce his wife for whatever reason he wants. So much so that there was there was writings that talked about if he found someone prettier, if they were going and he found oh she's a lot prettier than the one I have at home I'm divorcing her so I can have her, uh, even so much as if she didn't cook his meals the right way she burned his toast uh, he could divorce her because he did it and so Moses uh, instituted this certificate or writing a divorcement for the favor of the of the wife and it was for him to sit down and not just summarily say I'm going to divorce her on a whim but to sit down and he had to write out what he was what he was divorcing her for and then it was given to her and it had language in there that said you are free to remarry because remember during bible times if you didn't have a husband you were pretty much you were pretty much destined to be poor for the rest of your life you were going to scrimp think about Ruth and Naomi neither of them had a husband they came back to Bethlehem and what did she do she got a gleaning job all she could do was pick up the scraps uh, and, and were it not for Boaz coming in and, and rescuing them uh, from a human perspective, I know that God did all of this, uh, they, would have, they would have continued to live that way. And so uh, this, was, this writing of divorcement was intended to help the woman be able to exist without having to uh, live a life of poverty for the rest of her life. But what Jesus had said here was that, uh, that 
he was he was going contrary to this quick and easy divorce, this arbitrary divorce. Uh, since the law stated that a man wanted to divorce his wife, I said this already, that uh, he was going to give her uh, this writing, and it was to free her to remarry and to protect her. But now Jesus says that uh, except for sexual immorality, anyone who divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery. Then he said that whoever marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. And Jesus is not entering the debate here about what is an acceptable cause for divorce. He's not throwing in his two cents and say, well, I know that this, uh, there's this school of thought and I know that there's this school of thought. Let me weigh in and let me tell you what I think. He is going beyond that and saying, listen, I'm not here to talk about what you need to divorce over. I'm here to say it's equated with adultery. And he's linking it to the vows that you make with God. And he's saying, above and beyond, if you didn't like the breakfast that she made you, or if she's not as pretty as you think she needs to be, or if she doesn't please you in some way or another, there's something more. Even the fact of sexual immorality, he says there's something greater than this, and that is God's laws. And Jesus is, uh, in, many, in, in other places, reminding the people that divorce was never a part of God's plan. Read Matthew 19.8. He says when God created the male and female, he didn't, he didn't start this idea of marriage and then say, and you know what, um, just in case things don't work out, uh, here's, here's, here's what you need to do. It was intended from the very beginning, from the very first marriage, for that man and that woman to live together forever until they die. Uh, and so uh, that, that's what Jesus is, is, is taking. So in, uh, that's the avenue that he takes. Instead of arguing for lawful reasons for divorce, he reasons that either way, Divorce and adultery are linked together. And he emphasizes that the principle of God's law should be honored. Stop looking for reasons that are acceptable to divorce your wife. Start looking at the principle of God's law. Think about it, how he equated just a few verses ago, he talked about how the, the, the citizens of the kingdom are pure in heart. Not lusting after other women. They are hungering after righteousness not craving for an illicit relationship. They are peacemakers, trying to make peace, trying to reconcile. Even the, the few verses just before this, talking about reconcile at just about any cost. And then he's going to say, why would you be looking for divorce? If you're a peacemaker, why are you looking for reasons to separate? Why are you looking for, why can't you reconcile if you're a peacemaker? This is what Jesus is trying to, uh, is saying in, in, in we need to understand. Now, the Old Testament penalty for death, if you want to look at it later on, the Old Testament penalty for adultery, Leviticus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 22, the Old Testament penalty for adultery was death. Now, Jesus has not only said that if you commit adultery, you're guilty of what the law said is death. He says that he's equated it with lust. That the thought of adultery is equal with the act of adultery. And if in their minds they're thinking, you know what, when there is an adulterous affair to be, uh, to be discovered, the penalty is death. I won't commit adultery so that I don't die. But now Jesus says, what happens in your heart? You're just as in danger of judgment. And He reminds the listener of the guilt and judgment for breaking God's laws. We ask, you know, and especially in our society, well, what's the big deal? What's really wrong with thinking about it but not actually doing it? Isn't the sin only when I do the deed, not when I think about doing 
As I said last week, you know, as far as anger and murder, I would much rather you hate me than actually kill me. But Jesus doesn't feel the same way. And, 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 and that same thinking would say, well, then it, I'd much rather think about an illicit affair than actually engage in an illicit affair. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. See, he says that the sin does not solely depend on whether anything actually happens. It's also the desiring and longing for something to happen. It's the hunger for what you cannot have. It's the craving for that which is forbidden. This longing is the same longing that caused Lot's wife to turn back, and look back at something that God was condemning. When a man lusts after a woman that is not his wife, he is essentially saying, although she is another man's wife, or although she is at least not my wife, I still want her for myself. Even though I've already made a covenant before God with another woman, even though I have already been united in marriage with one, I desire someone else. When we see it that way, it's reduced very basically down to selfishness, greed, and pride. It's this attitude that says what I want is all that matters. Who cares how this affects anybody else? It's what I want. Who cares how her husband feels? Who cares how my wife feels? Who cares how this would affect my children or this will affect my community or whoever it may be? It's what I want and I'm going to do it because it's what I want. And if it violates the union between another man and a woman, it's okay because it's what I want. And if I can't have it in real life, I'll have it in my dreams and my imagination. This is the coveting that the Tenth Commandment forbids. Desiring what is yours and what cannot be yours. And once again, we hear this message and we realize that we don't have the opportunity to walk away thinking we're all okay. Just as before, I don't get to walk away thinking, well, I've never killed anybody, so God must be pleased with me. He says, well, if you've ever been angry, you're just as in danger of the judgment as you are as if you actually killed the person. And now, I don't get to say, well, I've never actually cheated on my wife. God must be pleased. He says, if you've ever lusted, if you've ever had the impure thoughts in your heart, God is not pleased. When I realize that, I realize I'm guilty. Stand guilty before God. Have the shame of my inward sin. And I, and I even more fully realize that I do not have the greater righteousness that God requires. I was reading a sermon this week and uh, this really stood out to me as a uh, a preacher of the 20th century he's passed on now. His name is Martin. Uh, his last name is Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, it was a powerful uh, sermon. And I just want to read the last of what he said because this really this, this hit me uh, right, in the, right in the chest when he, when he said it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Of course not. But is it in our hearts? Is it in our imagination? Do we like it? God forbid that any of us should be able to look at this holy law of God and feel satisfied. If we do not feel unclean at this moment, God have mercy upon us. If we can conceivably be satisfied with our own lives because we have never committed an act of adultery or of murder or any one of these things, I say that we do not know ourselves nor the blackness and the foulness of our own hearts. 
We must listen to the teaching of the blessed Son of God and examine ourselves. Examine our thoughts, our desires, and our imagination. And unless we feel that we are vile and foul and need to be washed and cleansed, unless we feel utterly helpless with a terrible poverty of spirit, and unless we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, I say, God, have mercy upon us. As I read through that, I thought, you know, that's exactly how I'm feeling as I'm doing this. Because I am not uh, what I would consider uh, a, a pervert. But I'm a man. And I deal with the same types of thoughts that all of you men deal with. And I deal with the same temptations that all of every single one of us deal with, whether or not you're a man. Uh, we deal with these, 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 uh, these, these temptations. We deal with these lusts. And, and we're going to see a little bit what Jesus says, how to deal with these things. But I, I read this and I feel, I feel the Holy Spirit says, that's you. No, you've never actually stepped out on your wife. But have you done it inside your heart? Oh, I'm guilty. Just as every single one of you are guilty before God. But along with that guilt, I realize there is someone who has cleansed me from that guilt. And I look to Him. One who speaks to me these these messages. I, I look to Him who is my righteousness. To Him who washed me clean with His blood who gave me a new heart, made me righteous, forgave my sin, bore that guilt on Himself. And with those two thoughts there, realizing how unclean I am, remember being poor in spirit? I am not enough. I am not even 1%. But He is all I need. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. And with those two thoughts... I recognize as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, as a child of the heavenly Father. I want my, I want my desires to be doing my best to please Him in all that I do. May that be our all, every one of our desires. May we strive to do our best in pleasing Him in all we do. Because I realize that God sees not only my outward actions, but He sees my heart. And I want my outside to be good, but I want my inside to be good as well. And I, and through the power of Christ, this is available to me. I can have clean heart. I can have pure thoughts. I can have the victory over these types of temptations. I don't say, well, that's just how I'm made. That's just how God made me. This is just what I'm going to be. And I just, I'm just going to give in. And as long as I don't cross the line, I'll be okay. And Jesus says, no, I drew the line way back from where you're standing. You have far crossed the line with the first sinful thought. But I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the grace. I have the mercy and the forgiveness available through my atoning sacrifice. And now it is available to each one of us. And I stand before God realizing I am nothing and you are everything and you love me as dirty and as, and as unclean as I am and you make me clean and you make me righteous. I want to live for you. I want to make that, I want to, I want to do whatever you, whatever you want. I want to please you in whatever I do, whether it be the inclusion of specific behaviors. What do you want me to do this? I will do this. And you want me to not do this? I won't do this. Whether it be something on the outside, like don't steal, or whether it be something on the inside, don't lust. Don't be angry. Don't hate. 
May we strive to keep God's law in our behavior as well as in our lives.